Yeah, I've watched a lot of college basketball in my life, Tom, and um, there are some things that are particularly frustrating as from a fan's perspective, or sometimes it's just from a viewing perspective, even if I don't care about who wins the game. You know, when you're a fan, it's like missing the front of a one-on-one just feels, it just feels so bad, blowing a big lead, having one of your players go pro unexpectedly, or when you're watching a game, a long replay reviews end up not overturning the call. What, what do you find to be particularly frustrating or painful as a college basketball fan or viewer? Well, when I'm watching a game and I'm rooting for a team or I'm watching a team and I'm invested in the game and a team just, you know, they miss a shot, they're down two, they miss a shot, the shot clock's off, the opponents get the rebound, and there's some confusion about whether to foul. They start not foul, it's like 25 seconds left. Just foul right away. It's so frustrating when the teams just wait six or seven seconds. I know they're so disheartened. They missed the shot, they had a chance to tie or take the lead, and they just messed up, but then you got to just, you got to just, move on and foul right away and that those oftentimes those 10 seconds or six seconds cost you and it's just so grating when you're especially when you it just adds to the frustration because you miss the shot and then you just can't get back on you can't just turn back on on defense it's frustrating and then also just the the idea when you don't foul to extend the game like a lot of teams were they're down three the other team has the ball 45 seconds left i would foul especially in the one-on-one foul every time there no don't just hope for the best and see what happens you run out and you end up 15 seconds left you could get the ball back or they could score or you could do something stupid like not foul and then foul at the end of the shot clock so those are really the things like late game knowing when to foul and i'm a big proponent of fouling uh more than most coaches are i feel like yeah kind of like jim valvano was known for fouling even sometimes in tied games uh when it back when it used to be a one-on-one all the time i was watching um the ucla maryland game in maryland from 1982 uh, earlier today um and uh, there was a lot of fouling, and and it was always one and one. It never went do- double bonus. So our podcast actually wouldn't have existed if we started it uh, 35 or 40 <laughs> years ago. Um, but I think what's sometimes why players hesitate is because it's not always clear what the score is. A lot of times players are not aware of time and score. They think about the Vanderbilt Northwestern game in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago when Matthew Fisher Davis fouled. Uh, Bryant McIntosh, I believe it was, from Northwestern with the game tied late because he thought that they were down. Um, or we also saw that happen in the Pitt-Butler game back when they were in different conferences when Pitt was in the Big East um, in the NCAA tournament game um, when they were number one seed, Pitt was. I feel like that's a big part of it, and, and it really does take um, a lot of coaching and intelligent players to be able to make the right decision there quickly. Um, for me, I'm going to take a very simple one. Um, offensive rebounds... Uh, giving up offensive rebounds when you're on defense. You play 20, 25 seconds of good defense, you force a tough shot, and the team gets the offensive rebound. I think this is like a visceral reaction that even like casual fans have. You know, my wife, when she's watching, and she'll like yell, get the rebound! Like, like, it's, like you, it's like you're supposed to always get the rebound. I think it's for, like free throws. When you miss free throws and when you miss, don't get uh, defensive rebounds, it feels like you should kind of almost always do it, and we know that's not the case. We know that 30% of free throws are missed, and we know that about a third or 30% of um, of missed shots end up being rebounded by the offense, but it feels like something you should, you could kind of control and always do well, and it's very frustrating when that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's kind of like when you watch a pitcher and pitching against a bad batter, and he's suddenly behind three zero. You just like want to just throw strikes, but it's hard to throw strikes all the time, and it's not easy. Same thing for rebounding. It's just so disheartening when you play great defense, you get a good shot, and there's like a deflection. The tip outs are also really annoying. I find the tip outs to be the most annoying kind of the offensive rebound. You know, you get the shot. The guy doesn't even get the clean rebound. He just swats it back out. Then the point guard, who's getting ready to play defense, now just has the ball like two steps in front of the midcourt line. It's just very frustrating. 
Yeah, considering the pretty much the only way Providence scores nowadays is on offensive rebounds, um, I should probably like them more. <laughs> Double bonus the rest of the way. Double bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to Lucky Episode 13 of the Double Bonus Podcast, along with Brendan DeRusher. I'm Tom Borstein, and that was our coldest of cold opens because it is freezing, sub-freezing in New York. It's very windy, it's very cold, but we are inside. It's great days, great weather to sit inside and watch college basketball, be it Brendan on YouTube, or later tonight, another big Monday. So it is a great day, great college basketball watching weather. Stay inside, be safe, Brendan. Yeah, at the the game I watched actually, the UCLA uh, Maryland game was um, on ESPN Classic. So in oh. fairness, um, that that game involved Luffy Drizelle against Larry Farmer. Larry Farmer was he played at UCLA, was a good player there, didn't play uh, professionally, but was an assistant coach for about nine years. And I, I guess when Larry Brown left, Larry uh, uh, Larry Farmer became the coach. And he had not any other head coaching experience, and he was fairly mediocre in his time. And then since then, he's been like he's now he's Western Michigan's assistant coach. Imagine like twenty, like thirty-five years ago, you're the UCLA head coach, and thirty-five years later, you're in your second stint as Western Michigan assistant coach. It's just a it's a very weird trajectory for a, for a coaching career for um, for Larry Farmer. But the, you know, I guess it was the, I guess UCLA played Maryland a bunch of times. Lefty Drizel was celebrating like it was like one of his biggest wins of his career. It was a double overtime game. Um, anyway, that's that was my experience of that. Uh, but what? Uh, you're back. You're back in the cold New York, where I think it's like five degrees and 25 mile an hour winds. And there are actually a lot of good games today on and Martin Luther King Day. They do tend to put a slightly better uh, schedule together. Both Fox, uh, Fox Sports, and ESPN have a, a good doubleheader today, and the schedule is a lot more uh, packed than most Mondays. And we're recording a little bit earlier on Monday because of the holiday, so many of you may be able to get this in time to hear about some of those game previews um but what are you what are you seeing from the weekend um what are you where it's to six is good and, and oh i guess maybe we should do first let's let's not jump the, the gun here this is the double bonus podcast you should follow yeah. us on twitter we're at, at double bonus pod you can find us on our website doublebonuspod.com. you can find us on spotify google play music uh apple itunes podcasts you can email us at um double bonus at gmail.com double bonus pod at gmail.com and we have an email today that's um, where I'm personally very excited about yeah. from a professional professional journalist, actually. Um, so that's exciting. Um, we already got an email previously from uh, from Josh Lyman, who is a former chief of staff. Um, and we got an email from the would-be assassin. So, now, I mean, the, yeah. the ca- it's not, we don't get a lot of emails, but the caliber of the people who send the emails is, uh, is actually quite impressive. So I feel like um, we are the, um, the upper crust uh, – go-to college basketball oh, podcast definitely i could not agree more we get those emails i mean three of them have been, they've been all thought-provoking they're all mm-hmm. well written well thought out just beautiful emails and you know if only i'm sure we have tons of other listeners who are the same intellectual 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 see how do you say it? intellectual intellectual quality of those three listeners we'd love to hear from some more listeners as well yeah. yeah, thought-provoking. That's a funny word because usually provoking is like a bad thing, right? You know, you know, if you provoke someone, it has a negative connotation. But thought-provoking is pretty much always used in a positive connotation. Why do you think yeah. that is, Tom? 
Uh, it's one of a, I feel like it's a little buzzwordy, but I guess it's just kind of got it mangled around to be positive. But yeah, criticism mm. has a negative connotation, but it can be positive criticism too. Like a like mm. a, a, a good movie re- review is a positive criticism, but it has mm-hmm. a very negative connotation. So, yeah. Yeah. See, this is why they're the upper cross yeah. go-to podcast. Come for the basketball, um, stay for the linguistics talk. Yeah. Speaking of linguistics, uh, we, we all we both know that six is good, and so what are your what is the first of your three topics? As we both have three topics, and therefore six uh, storylines uh, to discuss from the the past weekend of college basketball or past week of college basketball. Well, I want to start in the Big Twelve, which is what the kids these days are calling a hot mess. Texas Tech is one of four and two teams, one of several four and two teams at the top of the standings. They have lost. Uh, they lost on Saturday to Baylor in a game they probably thought they were going to win. There are four teams at 4-2, and two, Kansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Kansas State, which we can get to a little later. But Texas Tech is the team I want to talk about because they were flying high into conference play. Their only loss was to Duke at the Garden. They won their first four games of the Big 12 season. Kansas had a few slip-ups earlier on Saturday. Kansas lost to West Virginia. So... Texas Tech was going to Baylor, trying to consolidate their lead atop the Big 12, go to 5-1, and one, and what do they do? They lay an egg against Baylor. They lose 73-62. They had a furious comeback in the last few minutes, but then uh, Baylor pulled away. Um, Baylor, sneaky decent right now. They can get to 4-2 and two tonight um, if they beat West Virginia, I think they're playing. And so this Big 12 is just wide open, uh, and there's so many teams. I don't think there's a truly great team in the Big 12, but there's so many good teams that are dangerous top to bottom that it's really going to be a interesting last two-thirds of the uh, conference season. But Texas Tech, their offense is putrid, especially in conference play. They're 10th in the conference in offensive efficiency and first in defensive efficiency in league games through six league games. They need to get more offense. Their defense is obviously amazing. But their offense, they haven't had one more than one point per possession all calendar year. Um, the um, They are just... Uh, Actually, that's not true. They beat Texas. They had that against Texas. So they had, once all year, they've had more than one point per possession. But 0. 0. 0.88, 0. 0.926, 0. 0.980, uh, 1.06, 0. 0.913, and then 0.957. Those are their points per possession in Big 12 play. That is really bad. And they get to the line a lot, and that's really what they rely on for their offense to a large degree. So basically, they're unwatchable. They're very good, but they're unwatchable. And these, this was a missed opportunity uh, for Chris Beard's team these last two games. They lost at Iowa State. Uh, at home to Iowa State, and they lost at Baylor, and just really, it's going to be tough for any team to put any distance in the Big 12, and Texas Tech is proving that right now. Yeah, Texas Tech's offense now is ranked 111th in the country, and their defense is first. Um, it feels like when teams are really good at defense and not good at offense, they kind of get more respect than those teams that are really good at offense and not good at defense, like the equivalent would be, say, Marquette or someone like that, like that type of team. Um but you know, one thing is Baylor scored the most points per possession against Texas Tech that they'd allowed all season, 1.13. Um, they did it by uh, by shooting well, much better than any team. Is, was actually, the second best that any team had shot against them all year. The best was USC back in November. Um, they also offensive rebounded the ball well, um, and uh, they just were kind of solid across the board. And you know, Baylor's a team that started out really slow under Scott Drew this year after uh, kind of a, a weak season last year where they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, but but uh, they had started out 6-4 and four this year, including losses to uh, Texas Southern. They lost at home to Stephen F. Austin by a point. 
Um, but they played Kansas close after beating Iowa State, and now they've won Oklahoma State and beaten Texas Tech. The, the Big 12 to me is kind of it's it's unkempt in terms of like a kind of knowing the pecking order in the league. Uh, but that's because it's so balanced. Um, you know, you talk about not being having like a, a truly great team. Maybe they have three teams in the top 14, and they have eight of their 10 teams are in the top 50. And then you have Oklahoma State, West Virginia, who are top 75 teams as their worst teams. We saw West Virginia. We'll get to that later. Beating um, Kansas on Saturday. Um, you know, I think that the Big 12 is kind of the uh, the the college basketball aficionados conference you know the acc has like the the glitz and the and the stars and the top rated teams at the very top although there's a, b- a bunch of mediocre teams the big 10 has, has a lot of depth and really solid teams at, at the top as well um and maybe a kind of a lot of uh, kind of bigger brands after kansas you know texas is a big sports brand it's oklahoma but not really a big basketball brand but um in the big 10 you have Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, Indiana, Illinois, even these are like even Wisconsin is a pretty, yeah. pretty big basketball brand. Um, and but I think the Big Twelve with a double round robin um, and no teams that are bad um, gets a little bit underappreciated because they end up having a lot of country tournament teams and not a lot of really great seeds, and then end up not being often that much of a factor late in the tournament. Maybe one team gets deep, and then people say, oh, the Big 12 was never any good anyway. And I think it's just a, the, it's not a league set up to do huge damage in March, like like three Final Four teams or, or three or four fi- Elite Eight teams. But these are really good teams. And I guess it's more of an o- a statement overall in the Big 12. When it comes to te- Texas Tech, you know, their offense just isn't very good. They're depending – they're overly reliant on Jarrett Culver. Definitely. Uh, and he's he's really good. But at the same time, in conference, his O rating is down to 96. Um, overall for the season, it's 114. Um, but his usage is the highest in the Big 12. Uh, and when you're the, the highest usage in the Big 12 and you're basically below average efficiency-wise, um, then you're probably not going to have a very good offense. And that's what Texas Tech has right now. They need to figure out a way to uh, to knock down some shots. They're, they're eighth in conference play in three-point shooting. They're ninth in offensive rebounding. They have the fourth most turnovers in conference play. Um, and ultimately, when you keep playing good team after good team after good team, you're going to lose some games, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, just on the Big 12, I really think it would help if Kansas were just to step up where it is right now. We can talk about Kansas later or not, but like the top, there's I think there's a clear-cut five or six best teams in the country Virginia, Duke, Michigan, it's the Ken Palm top six. I think Virginia, Duke, Michigan State, Gonzaga, Tennessee, and Michigan in some order are probably the six best teams in the country. And then you, I think that's where the drop-up is after that. Like, I don't see, like, Kansas or obviously Texas Tech, no, getting, like, being, even though Kansas is beating two of those teams, I don't think they're playing at the same level right now. And there's a second tier where Kansas is definitely in, but, I, with like, the North Carolinas of the world. But I just feel like that's six is like a, st- a notch above everybody else. And I think if Kansas were in that top six, then the Big 12 would truly be a great league. And I'm not saying it's not a great league, but I just think it would really help the league out to have a team that's in that level. I know this is very subjective, but I just I just feel like they're coming up short without having that truly great team, that representative team uh, in that in that top tier of teams right now. And I think there's a style, stylistic aspect to it. It's funny because Big 12 in football is known as like all offense, yeah. fast paced. But in basketball, the, the the tempo of conference game is actually 29th in the, in the country this year. Um, their offensive efficiency is 22nd, and shooting percentage is 28th. So it's a defense-first conference. It's a fairly slow-paced conference. The Big 12 conference all Ken Palm team right now 
is not star-studded. They have Jared Cole from Texas Tech. We discussed Dedrick Lawson, who's a name because he transferred and you know he's on Kansas. Third is Mariel Shyock, the transfer from Virginia. Fourth is Christian James, who was kind of put in the backseat by Trey Young last year. And then fifth is Alex Robinson, who's kind of a pass-first point guard for TCU. And I think that that's part of it. You know, it's like the Big Ten and the and the um, and the ACC seem to have the star power, both with the teams and with the uh, team brands and the players. You look at the ACC all Kempom team, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and then you have the two Virginia guys, Ty Jerome and DeAndre Hunter, then Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And you look at the Big Ten, and you have people everyone's heard of, Ethan Happ, Carson Edwards, Cassius Winston, and then you have you know somewhat little more obscure guys, Nick Ward and James Palmer. Um, so, And I think it's a part of it, too. They have fewer games. You, know? you have 10 teams on a given weekend, they're not going to be as many games, and the big I think the Big East struggles the same way, not the same caliber as the Big 12, but with having just fewer games. And when you have fewer games, you have fewer marquee games, fewer close games, and just in general the volume isn't as much, which is why a lot of these leagues have thought about expanding to 11 or 12 uh, teams. Um, I like the smaller leagues with the double round robin. You know, the Big 12 and the Big East are probably my two favorite leagues to watch game in and game out. Um, because of their balance and because you don't have, usually have very terrible teams, although the Big East has had DePaul, so we can't really say that about them. But, um, yeah, but generally speaking, Big 12 basketball is interesting. The top of the league is good, but I think you're absolutely right that if Kansas were dominant, they're just not – Kansas is weird because they're really good every year, but people don't give them that much respect uh, nationally, like your, your UNC, Duke – Kentucky people, they, they always seem to be like a tier below, even though year, year in and year out, they're the most consistent team in college basketball at the top. Right. If you had to pick a team every year to be good, you'd pick Kansas first. Like that was definitely going to be good and not have a down year. You would pick Kansas first and like mm-hmm. not knowing anything about the team, obviously. And, but it hurts them a little bit. And I think this and the big 12 champion right now is projected by Ken Palm to be 12 and six in conference. And that's not going to help them in the uh, seating department. If they come in uh, 12 and six, I, I think that the, Big 12 champion will be a two seed this year. Yeah, I think that's probably right, especially when you have um, Virginia. If you look at the bracket matrix right now, Virginia and Duke are on that top line, Michigan and Tennessee, the other teams in that top line. And then the second uh, seed line, and again, this is updated through, this is a couple days ago, so it probably hasn't taken into account the games of this weekend. Um, the second seed line is Michigan State, Kansas, Gonzaga, and Texas Tech, and we saw Kansas and Texas Tech both lose this weekend. Then the third seed line is North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Kentucky, and Nevada. Um, and then the, they get to the fourth seed line, that's where Oklahoma is, and we saw Oklahoma keeps losing as well. They lost to Texas and Matthew McConaughey on Sunday. <laughs> um, and Oklahoma had actually had a really good resume this year. People might say, Oklahoma, four seed, really? But they were the top four seed on the bracket matrix because they had had really strong quality of wins. If you look at their schedule, they, they went neutral against Florida. They won at Northwestern in overtime. They beat TCU, Dayton, Notre Dame, Creighton, Wofford. I mean, these aren't like hugely impressive wins, but it's a lot. It's a high volume of good wins. Um, and now in conference, they've started two and four. But you know, all it's just the Big Twelve. Like they're two and four in conference, but they haven't really had a bad loss in the group. Um, they and they haven't even played one of the toughest schedules in the conference today. Their fourth toughest schedule, despite the fact that their four losses are at Kansas, at at Texas Tech, at Texas, and home against Kansas State. Their two wins are at home against TCU and Oklahoma State. It's it's a brutal bearer of a conference and um you know i think every team pretty much is going to have a two uh, or a three game losing streak this season yeah it's nuts it's just a nuts conference period yeah okay let's let's talk about the big game of the weekend and that was duke virginia um duke won 72 70 
uh, Virginia, uh, Duke, Duke's offense was uh, actually quite solid. They played, they scored 1.14 points per possession. They only got 12 total bench minutes with Trey Young, uh, not Trey Young, Trey Jones, um, still out with a shoulder sprain. Um, although apparently his injury is not as serious as previously thought, and he should be back sooner than maybe originally expected. Uh, Jack White, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, and Cam Reddish all played at least 37 minutes. And Marcus Bolden played 33 minutes. Um, and despite not having a point guard, and despite really their smallest player most of the game being six foot seven, um, they were able to run an efficient offense. It really hurt Virginia down low um, with both 10 offensive rebounds and 65% two-point shooting. Um, and it was Zion Williams and R.J. Barrett combining 57 points and really taking almost all the shots. Cam Reddish did not play well. Uh, he also took um, 12 field goal attempts, but he uh, he had four turnovers, and he only made three of them. Uh, for Virginia, Ty Jerome, you know, you look at the numbers, and it doesn't look that bad. 14 points, four rebounds, four assists, only one turnover, but just couldn't get shots to fall. Him and He and Kyle Guy shot 3 of 12 on threes. Um, as a team, they were 3 of 17. The two teams combined to shoot only 5 of 31 on threes, and they had some open looks. And, you know, Kyle Guy, I remember at one point, had a wide open look on the wing, uh, maybe with about five minutes left and bricked it. Um, some of these looks were difficult against a long defense. Um, Duke was switching a lot on the perimeter and then playing some zone to, re- to conserve some energy. Uh, I don't take much away from Virginia for the loss. I think it's more of a positive for Duke, showing one, they really defend a, a really good offensive team, although Virginia still scored 1.11 points per possession, but play zone while doing that, sorry, play man while doing that, even without their best point guard defender. Um, and even without their best uh, point guard defender and Trey, uh, Trey Jones, they were able to, or point guard period, they were able to move the ball and play good offense. And oh, I say move the ball, they only had six assists, but when you have R.J. Barrett and Zion Williams, and that's enough to be able to create good enough offense to win. Yeah, I think this game had a lot of very good offensive in the basket around the lane, like a lot of cutters. And it, it, both teams scored well over one point possession, despite shooting awful from three. So, and they're both good defensive teams, as we talked about. So it was just a really well played offensive game. Which is, it's, it was a pretty clean game down the stretch. There was the entire second half was basically played within a five point window. Duke led, I think, by five at the half, and Virginia took the lead about midway through the second half. But then they were trading baskets. There were a million lead changes down the stretch. It was a very fun game to watch, even though there weren't bombing threes and there were. Some other, uh, but even though the shooting from outside wasn't good, the shooting from inside was very good. I think Virginia really had some good looks and just couldn't finish down the stretch, and that hurt them. Um, R.J. Barrett was amazing for Duke. He had 30 points, uh, and he's been playing much better of late. Uh, he's had 30 points against Virginia and against uh, Florida State two games before that. So he's been excellent, and Duke is obviously very good. This game was in Duke, the home court advantage we all know about. Um, so it was a, it was an impressive win for Duke to come, you know, play without their point guard, uh, come off a really rough loss against Syracuse on Big Monday, a game they shouldn't have lost, even though um, Trey Jones was out and uh, who was uh, Reddish was sick for that game, right? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's a good bounce back win for Duke. And then they're going to play again, I think, in, on February 8th in Charlottesville. So uh, that'll be a, another exciting rematch to watch. But uh, I was very impressed with Duke in this game. Yep, that's February 9th. Uh, but but between now and then, Duke's schedule actually is uh, quite um, friendly. They're at, you know, I mean, these are all decent teams. The next four, they're not terrible. But uh, as far as the schedule would go for the conference play, it's it's 
it's pretty pretty weak. At Pittsburgh, home against Georgia Tech, at Notre Dame, home against St. John's in that non-conference uh, game. Last year, obviously, they lost at St. John's, who at the time hadn't won a Big East game yet. And then they play at home against Boston College before. Um, the, a really tough stretch, which is going to be at Virginia, the rematch you mentioned, at Louisville, home to NC State, home to North Carolina, and then at Syracuse and Virginia Tech, uh, also on the road. Um, yeah, so they kind of clump together their difficult and easy games, it seems, um, in the ACC. Yeah, on Ken Palm, they're no worse than 87% to win at any of their next uh, five games. So and that's Pittsburgh yeah. away, which is their next game. Yeah, Pittsburgh has had a surprisingly good season. They're 2-3 and three in conference. Um, Jeff Capel has gotten them uh, up to 65th in Ken Palm after a year after, I believe, that they didn't win a single conference game last year. Yeah, they went 0-18 and, and then lost in the in the uh, conference tournament in Notre Dame. Uh, so that'll be their di- that's their most difficult game per Ken Palm in that stretch. Um, the, the ACC has its top six teams are all four and in, in one in conference. It's a six-way tie. Um, Virginia, Duke, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Louisville, and Syracuse are all four and one. Um, I don't know what what the, obviously what, what that really means. Those teams range from first to, in Ken Palm to 38th in Syracuse's case. Uh, Virginia has had the tough schedule of the group, and then Duke. The other f- f- four teams are, have had the, the easiest schedules in the conference, with the exception of um, North Carolina State as second easiest, and they're three and two. So, uh, I, I think you know, does like Duke will probably win their next four conference games, or is very likely to. Um, Virginia plays uh, Wake Forest and Notre Dame next, uh, with two of the two games they should win before going into NC State, and then they get uh, Miami at home uh, before that Duke game. Yeah, and Virginia did also smoke Virginia Tech at home, 81-59 earlier in the week. So, you know, they can't, couldn't accuse them of looking ahead to Duke. So that was another really impressive win. That was their 16th on the year. And so just adds to Duke because they took a Virginia team that was playing really well and had a very excellent effort, an excellent effort against them. So full credit to Duke for this game. It was very impressive. Yeah. What else do you have? Uh, let's talk about Kentucky and Auburn in the SEC. Kentucky's now... 4-1 in the SEC after a big win. I think it's their best win of the season. You could argue against North Carolina on a neutral, uh, but this game was at Auburn. You had Charles Barkley. I don't know if you know that he was at the game because they only showed him like 70,000 times on TV, but that's cool. Uh, he uh, he was there. Kentucky had a 17-point lead, and they blew blew it, but thanks to, because uh, Auburn's Bryce Brown at 25 of his 28 in the second half, but Kentucky held on, took the lead, and won. And, and uh, there's a then Calipari got his post-game news conference crashed by Charles Barkley. Uh, but Kentucky now is 4-1. They're looking pretty good in the SEC. Obviously, Tennessee is their conference to lose. But Kentucky's been playing uh, pretty well of late. And Auburn now, I wonder, because, you know, I was high on them entering the year. But they've now played. Now, first of all, Austin, Austin Wiley did not play in this game. So just we should mention that. But they've now lost their four best uh, their four toughest games this year, they lost to Duke in Maui. They lost to NC State in, uh, in December. They lost at Mississippi on January 9th, and they lost home to Kentucky. So those are their four toughest teams, and they've all lost them. So are we a little worried about Auburn being able to beat a good team? They've obviously beaten all the other teams they've played, but um, what are we what are we thinking about Auburn? And then also Kentucky, um, really, this game showcased uh, just some diversity on offense. Uh, from them, they got, or just look at the box score here, oh, uh, Keldon Johnson had 20, Tyler Harrow had 20, P.J. Washington chipped in with 13, and Reed Travis had 17. So they're spreading the ball around well. They had 1.19 points per possession. They had 14 assists on their 26 buckets, so they played pretty well there. And, you know, they just took a punch, and they were able to handle it. So full credit to them. 
uh, for this game. And I think they're looking pretty strong in the SEC, though. I think Tennessee is still a notch above. Yeah, I mean, I think when we st- start with Auburn, um, as you mentioned, it, you know, Ken Palm has A and B games. A are equivalent of top 50 games when you um, adjust for home road, and B are 51 to 100. You know, they're 5-0 and in B games, 0-4 in A games. Um, this was the closest of those losses. They lost by 6 to Duke and 7 to NC State and then 15 to Mississippi, and now they've lost by 2 to Kentucky. Auburn's just a very extreme team. They take a lot of threes. They make a lot of threes. Um they're really bad defensive rebounding team. They're really bad at keeping points off the line. They don't get to the line themselves. They're a really good offensive rebounding team. They force a lot of turnovers. They play a very uh, fast pace on offense. They play a very slow pace on defense. Like they're just a, 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 an interesting team because of how extreme they are. Uh, you know, against a team like Kentucky, they were bound to have some trouble with the, the bigs down low. They only allowed nine offensive rebounds, which wasn't so bad. But they weren't able to defend inside, as you mentioned, Reed Travis, six for seven on two pointers. Kelvin Johnson is also one of their forwards, was five for six on two pointers, and then uh, Tyler Harrow chipped in with some, with three three pointers. Um, so I think when it comes to Auburn, you know they're probably a little bit better than you know their perception is probably at a nadir right now for the season. Um, but I think it's probably a little bit underrated, um, and I think that they'll they'll get some good wins on the stretch. They have plenty of opportunities. They play Mississippi State later this week. Um, they still have to play um, at LSU. That's a, ch- a chance for a good win. Um, they are at Kentucky on February 23rd, and then they finish the season with uh, Mississippi State at home at Alabama and Tennessee at home. So there'll be plenty more opportunities for them to get up and get a pretty good seed. Um, entering that game, they were seen as the lowest four seed by Bracket Matrix. So they're probably like a five right now, which is around where they were last year. Um, But I think people had higher expectations for them um, for this season. For Kentucky, um, it was interesting to see Kentucky play well without defending all that well. Like they they weren't uh, kind of a shutdown defense. You know, this team is a team that's been built around its defense. Their defense in conference games is second in the SEC, including being um, top two in forcing turnovers, preventing opponents getting to the line, and first in defensive rebounding. But in this game, you know, they were able to score with um, with Auburn, and I think that's a good sign. You know, uh, Keldon Johnson, Reed Travis, and Tyler Harrow are three guys that have been, over the course of the season, pretty efficient offensively. Uh, and you add P.J. Washington to that. That's a pretty good top four. Uh, Ashton Hagens is your kind of defensive guard who will chip in here and there. And then on their bench, they have, you know, four or five-star guys like E.J. Montgomery and Emmanuel Quickly to come in off the bench and, get, and give them good minutes. Um, you know, I thought Kentucky was like a top three or five team entering the season. They didn't really play that way, starting with that embarrassment against Duke. Um, and they also, when they thought they were getting to that point after beating North Carolina and at, winning at Louisville, they they dropped the game at Alabama. It's a two-point loss on the road. One shot here or there is the difference, and now they've won four straight, including their most impressive, I would say, most impressive win of the season um, at at Auburn. Yeah, and the other thing, we can't talk about Kentucky without talking about their three-point defense. They surely had no problem with Auburn chucking it from outside. Auburn had 33-point attempts in this game. They had 26 two-point attempts. They made 13 of each. So Kentucky's now 298th in the country in three-point defense. They just don't seem to really want to run the opponents off the line. And again, this could be another example. We've talked about it before, of bad luck for their opponent's three-point shooting. But um, we talked about Bryce Brown, who had six of seven threes. And Auburn had a, had a bunch of guys knock him, knocking him down from outside besides him. So we'll see if that comes back to bite Kentucky. Obviously, it's very helpful for Auburn. That's really what kept him in this game because they shot the three 30 times. 
Uh, but Kentucky, they may want to just try to limit it a little bit going forward. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, we talk, my previous topic was about the last team to lose a game this season, Virginia. The next last team to lose a game was what was Michigan, and they did so in, in a noon game um, on Saturday against at Wisconsin. Um, 64-54, a game that was uh, far closer than that most of the way, although Wisconsin did have a lead. Um, they, it was 44-43 Michigan um, with about eight minutes left, and then Wisconsin went on a uh, an 11-4 run to take a six-point lead, and from there they pretty much held that or extended it. Um, this game was it was interesting in that, uh, it, one, it was, it was very... Uh, it was kind of fast-paced for a Michigan-Wisconsin game, but the, the, the offenses did not really show up. Not a big surprise because Michigan's defense is so good and Wisconsin's is pretty good as well. Um, John Teske was the only Michigan player to have an offensive rating above 90. Um, he had 15 points, uh, 7 rebounds, and 4 blocks. Uh, Jordan Poole struggled, 1-for-5 uh, on threes. Xavier Simpson um, had 3 turnovers and 1-for-3 one one on threes. Charles Matthews had a poor game. He only uh, attempted five shots and still had three turnovers. And Ignas Brazdikas, who had been Brazdikas, who had been one of the best freshmen in the country this year, did not score in 23 minutes. Attempted five shots. Um, Michigan's offense is a question. You know, it's strange to think about. John Beeline's always had good offenses back to when he was at St. Bonaventure in West Virginia. Um, but this offense is similar to other offenses he's had in that it's a finesse offense just not maybe a skill that he's had in the past since he has such a rugged defensive team maybe you think his offense would be a little more rugged too but it's really not it's still a finesse offense um for the most part in that they shoot the ball well and they um they don't turn it over but they're not very aggressive on the offensive glass and they don't get to the foul line much in this game they only made five free throws the whole game they're only 20 free throws um attempted in the game um, and so I, I think as good as Simpson, Matthews, and Teske are defensively, and as good as the offense has been kind of staying afloat throughout the season, um, there is a question mark about whether their offense will show up in um, first consecutive three, four consecutive games in March. When it comes to Wisconsin, um, you know, Wisconsin had had an interesting season. It looked like they were going to be quite good potentially, the way that they won at Xavier and and played Virginia close, beat Oklahoma, beat North Carolina State at home, won at Iowa, and then um, they hit a bit of a a skid. I mean, a road loss in overtime to Marquette isn't a big deal, but then they lost four or five, Western Kentucky, Minnesota, Purdue, Maryland, two of those games at home, and their only win in that span, their their only, before the Michigan game, their only win um, since the the second week of December was at uh, Penn State by 19. And that was a that was a game that I believe the Penn State coach Tom, um, Pat Chambers was suspended yes. for. Um, so you know I had liked Wisconsin earlier in the season, but it, it just didn't seem like they maybe had what it took to um, maintain uh, uh, this level of play throughout the season. But here we have it. They beat Michigan. They knocked them off. Um, the defense was was oppressive i don't know what's the right word outstanding <laughs> oppressive yeah it was, yeah it, it was really good um ethan hap uh, was amazing uh, 26 points 10 rebounds seven assists and only one turnover uh it's incredible how good a player can be right now in college basketball uh without having the ability to do anything shooting outside of like eight feet um, you know, they fouled him late in the game intentionally, trying to get him the line because he's like a 49% three free throw shooter. Since he didn't have the ball, though, they called a, a intentional foul or flagrant one, and uh, John Beeline kind of lost uh, lost it, which I, I thought was actually the right call. I don't, I don't really understand why 
a team should be allowed to intentionally foul a player who doesn't have the ball and not think it's a flagrant foul. But that was a three-point game at the time with about 50 seconds left, 51 seconds left. Um, and that gave – half made one of two free throws, and they got the ball back, and they ended up uh, winning by 10, uh, kind of really setting the, the, the lead at the very end of the game. Um, yeah, so I guess that it does bring some question marks to me about Michigan, and it makes me more optimistic about Wisconsin. Um, and I guess that's what, you know, you have more is another sample. Michigan's maybe not quite as good offensively as we thought. Wisconsin maybe has a chance to be uh, one of those kind of six, five, six, seven seeds in the NCAA tournament that wins a couple of games. We'll see. Yeah, they really relied on Ethan Happ in this game. He had 26 points and he shot. He had more than half of their two-point attempts from the field. He had, oh, it was just about half of their two-point attempts. He had 22 attempts. The team had 45. Didn't shoot a three. Uh, no one else scored in double digits for them, uh, so it'd be nice to see you know Brad Davis and get involved a little more. Uh, and they uh, yeah they only shot 13 threes, so there was a defensive struggle. Both teams were under a point per possession. We talked about Michigan's uh, struggles offensively, and you can attribute a lot of that to Wisconsin's defense. And it's definitely a flagrant foul by the rule. There's excessive contact, and there's no play on the ball for the ball player if you're fouling the ball handler. And then if you just go away from the ball, like. It's a, it's a flagrant foul. Like that's what the rule says. I think Ken Palm tweeted about this. Like it's very clear what the rule says. So I think that was the right call. Personally, I think if you do it away from the ball, you should just give him one shot and the ball back. Um, but it, it's there, so don't do it. And I think it is a good rule because we don't want people going out of their way to foul uh, people who are not handling the ball to shoot free throws. I think that's not really a good. Uh, it's totally okay, like um, ethics-wise, but it's just not good for the sport to have it be that way so it's good to outlaw that like hack a shack um it's not a great uh not a great policy for basketball yeah. so at the mm. college or pro level that's a whole nother can yeah. of worms let's let's stay in the big 10 um i know you're talking about uh, indiana and uh kind of some other teams uh, up and down the big 10 yeah indiana has lost four straight in the big 10 uh they play they played a pretty tough schedule but you think they'd want to win one one of sorry you think they would have wanted to win one of these games. They started by losing at Michigan, no shame there, 11 point game. Then they went to Maryland, lost by three when Bruno Fernando went off. Then they came home and played Nebraska and lost that game. Didn't look particularly good doing it. And then they went on the road and got smoked by Purdue on Saturday. So they've lost four straight games now. Uh, their Big Ten wins are against Northwestern at home, Penn State away, and Illinois at home. So not really the cream of the crop of the Big Ten there. And, you know, people before the Big Ten season resumes, a lot of people were talking, well, there's going to get 10 teams in the Big Ten in the tournament, and this is never going to happen just because some of these teams are going to drop off and not play. Uh, they're not going to, you know, like they have good resumes entering, but you're not going to put 10 teams in because some of these teams are going to just pick up a ton of losses uh, in the Big Ten. And now Indiana's now projected by Ken Palm to go 9-11 and in the Big Ten, and, you know, a team that looked like it was really on the fast track to the tournament has a lot of work to do in the middle of the Big Ten season. I'm not saying they're not going to make the tournament, but I think they're, they're, you know, they're on alert here, basically, based on this last performance. I know it's a tough stretch, three of the four on the road. They have Northwestern away, but then they have Michigan at home again. So they have a tough little schedule coming up. Then they have Rutgers at away and then Michigan State away. So really, you could see them being, right now they're three and four. You could totally see them being five of seven in the, five and seven in the Big Ten. And that was not mm -hmm. where they'd want to be more than halfway through the, the season. Yeah, the latest bracket matrix, again, it says as of 119, which is a Saturday. I'm not sure if – I assume that's before the games are played, yeah. but maybe it's after, um, probably before. It does have 10 teams in. Michigan is a 1, Michigan State is a 2, Maryland is a 3, Nebraska and Purdue as 
uh, sorry, Maryland's a five. Nebraska and Purdue is sixes. Iowa, Indiana, and Wisconsin all as sevens. Ohio State as a nine, and Minnesota as a ten. Um, you know, I think it, it leads into my last topic too. But I also want to talk about Ohio State on that same page. You know, Ohio State, like Indiana, is a team that started out the season well, uh, had some good good wins, uh, especially beating Cincinnati and Creighton in their first three games of the season. Um, but since then. Um, you know, they won their first two conference games against Minnesota and Illinois in that in that uh, kind of stretch where they um, uh, where they were playing uh, the two conference games before the calendar switched. But since then, they've lost all four of their conference games. Um, home against Michigan State, at Rutgers, at Iowa, home against Maryland. Obviously, the the Rutgers game is the one that you really shake your head at and feel like you need to win that one. And then home against Maryland, you know. They lost by 14. It's one thing if that was a close game, but to lose by 14 um, is not a good sign. And what we're seeing from Ohio State is, uh, you know, in conference play, uh, their offense has struggled. They're ninth in the conference. Um, they're ninth in the conference in the offensive efficiency since the start of conference play. They're also the most foul-prone team in terms of uh, trying to stop other teams. And we saw in the Maryland game, um, Maryland hit 14 of 16 free throws. And that hurt uh, Ohio State, and but Ohio State couldn't uh, only hit six of twenty-six on three-pointers. So Ohio State is led by uh, Caleb Wesson, who is a guy that really much, very similar to a lot of players we've seen around the country. You know, when they take up a step in, in possessions and just usage, um, it might work out. Uh, you know, in the short period of time, but in the long term, it can be difficult. Now he's been able to maintain it during, in conference play with 28% usage and is still a pretty good offensive rating. But the rest of his team around him has really fallen off in conference play. So, two teams, Ohio State and Indiana, both have lost four straight, um, and both also still. You know, we mentioned Indiana's schedule. Ohio State's next three games are home against Purdue, at Nebraska, and at Michigan, and they're not favored to win any of those three games. So I don't think they'll lose the next three, but. They could be in a position where they're three and six with nine halfway through the conference season, and they too, like Indiana, are picked to go nine eleven in conference. So you're looking at a situation where it's not it's not impossible for an under five hundred Big Ten team to make the NCAA tournament this year, and with how good the conference has been. But Indiana and Ohio State, we're looking like teams that could be a top fifteen, top twenty teams a few weeks ago, and now they're looking at teams who might end up like with double digit seeds in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and there's one could fall to the first four, and one could fall out. It's just a, it's just a, it's another dog eat dog conference where this, you know, it comes in with they come in with these great resumes, and they're going to carry those great non-conference resumes. Just how much can they stay afloat uh, in the Big Ten during conference play? So we'll see how that goes. But obviously, Michigan State and Michigan are uh, the class of this league, and we know they don't play until February. But Michigan State just cruising right along. Uh, beat Penn State on Sunday, and then they beat Nebraska on the road, which is not an easy thing to do. 70-64 on Thursday. They have, uh, yeah, and they have, uh, and they're at Purdue on next Sunday. That's their next. Well, they also have Iowa away too. So they got a little tricky schedule, but everyone's tr- schedule's tricky. So Michigan State really playing well. They had that bad loss to Kansas on opening night, and then they lost to Louisville in a poorly played game in overtime in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and haven't lost since. So they're one of the hottest teams in the country. Yeah, and kind of staying on the theme of Ohio State, Indiana, but in a different sense, teams that maybe you aren't noticing actually have a lot of work to do when it comes to the NCAA tournament because of how they had um, kind of hot starts. I want to talk about North Carolina State and uh, St. John's. So NC State, 
got a big win at Notre Dame by four um, because they just lost at the worst team in the ACC, Wake Forest, by four earlier in the week last Tuesday. That game had them falling to two and two. They did win the game at Notre Dame to go to three and two. You look at their resume, and first of all, North Carolina State is down to 30th in Ken Palm. They were as high as 18 entering the North Carolina game. They've dropped down to 30th. That's first. Secondly, um, while they have three A wins, they beat Auburn at home, Miami um, on the road, and Notre Dame on the road, which is like a borderline A win. They only have one B win, and that's Penn State, and their non-conference schedule is 350th in the country. St. John's actually has a worse resume. They're three and four in conference. They also have a bad loss in conference. They're just at home to DePaul. They played at Butler over the weekend and lost by nine um, in a game where we saw Butler's Jordan Tucker really, uh, the Duke transfer really take off. Um, and St. John's couldn't really stop Butler down the stretch uh, enough in order to, um, you couldn't stop Kamar Baldwin and Jordan Tucker in order to get that win. So St. John's is 3-4 and four in conference without a single A win, which is the equivalent of a quad one win, basically, if you use the net ratings. Their best wins are home against Marquette, um, and they also have wins at Rutgers, at Georgetown in overtime, and a neutral against Georgia Tech, and at the Barclays against VCU. So when you look ahead at their schedule, they have Georgetown next, and then they play at Creighton, at Duke, and at Marquette, which will be chances for get some good wins. Um, but the Big East is not has not have as many teams this year that will be considered quality wins. So even, you know, in the past, if you went to Providence and won, if you went to Xavier, you beat Xavier either at home or away, that would be a quality win. This year, maybe not so much. And so St. John's is in a position where they had the 337th most difficult schedule in the country out of conference, and they don't have it quite as tough a conference schedule as NC State does. And I guess what I'm saying is these are a couple of teams, much like Ohio State and Indiana, who are probably in worse shape than people think and might actually I would be I wouldn't be surprised if one of those four and, and maybe it's likely that one of those four does not make the NCAA tournament this year I think it's likely that at least one of those four doesn't make the NCAA tournament I think for North Carolina State one of their biggest games they have is they have back-to-back game home games against at the end of the month and start of February Virginia and Virginia Tech now it's asking a lot to have them beat Virginia even at home but Virginia Tech has basically a coin flip game according to Ken Palm those would both be good resume wins to grab so if they could steal the game against virginia tech that's probably their most likely a game that they can win uh, the rest of the way so that's the game i would really that would really help north carolina state and then you look at st john's who first of all that senior hall game where they were jobbed on is may come back to bite him now because that would have been a much better win that would have been an a win on the road in conference and now they don't have that anymore and then you look at the, their schedule they have a home game against villanova that they uh, have a good shot of winning. That would be a good game to pick off. Um, obviously, the Duke game, they're not going to win probably, but they beat Duke last year, so who knows? and Syracuse beat Duke, so who knows? Um, so looking at those games, those are the the, the and the and a Providence game on the road. Uh, that would be a nice win, uh, not for your sake, Brendan, but just in general. Mm-hmm. So they got a, some of these games that they have these opportunities to win. They need to pick off. I think the Virginia Tech for NC State, and then the Villanova game for. Um, St. John's, both be sexy kind of resume wins that would help them in the committee. St. John's feels like the kind of team with a guy like Shamori Pons and the fact that they're so thin where they probably will be inconsistent. So when Pons has a big game and when they don't get in foul trouble, they are have, it can be anyone. And that means that stretch where they play Creighton, Duke, and Marquette on the road, you could totally see them winning one of those games and maybe 
even two of them, uh, but they also are prone to the bad loss, and we saw that at home against DePaul, and we could see it you know, moving forward. There's a lot of games that in the Big East this year where that would be, hey, you should win, and if you lose it, like home to Providence or, or home to uh, Xavier, those are losable games that St. John's can't really afford to. So these two teams, both red teams, both had their heyday really in the 80s, um, and they and the irony is that St. John's has like no bench. They're they have some of the fewest benchmen in the country. I think fourth fourth fewest, but uh, NC State is one of the best benches in the country. So they're opposite and stylistically, but in terms of where they st- sit right now because of their non-conference schedules, they're in similar positions uh, as we get into late January. Yeah, I'm, oh. we'll see what happens with them. Yeah. So let's move into the No Homers Club. This is kind of a rough weekend uh, for uh Kansas and Providence, uh, but Tom, what do you have to say about uh, about your Jayhawks and what happened in Morgantown? I want to start with the good news because Marcus Garrett, who's been a defense-only guy, has really stepped up the last few games for Kansas. He played well on Saturday, one of the few guys who played well uh, in uh, West Virginia. He had 15 points, and he had a career-high 20 points uh, against Texas on Monday in their win over Texas where they almost blew it and won by 2, 80-78. Uh, their last... Two games have been decided by three total points. And if you go back to their last three games, it's been decided by eight total points. Uh, but Garrett's been really well. He, he never scored more than 15 points uh, in his career, and he scored 20 on Monday and then 15 against West Virginia. So that's the good news. So I'm excited to see Marcus Garrett take a little bit bigger role offensively now that uh, Azubuke is out for the year. And now that we, have, we know what I'm going to talk about next is their suspect backcourt in... Dotson and Grimes. They have not been playing well. Devon Dotson was atrocious on Saturday at West Virginia. He had seven turnovers. He scored nine points uh, and did not shoot well either. Just two, well, t- uh, he was fine, three of five, but just seven turnovers. You cannot that cannot happen uh, against a team even uh, of West Virginia's uh, defensive uh, style. They're not even forcing that many turnovers this year, so it's really inexcusable. Kansas, this is frustrating because they really just should have played much better in the first half. Uh, they did not. They were at 0.6 points possession for most of the first half. Then they played well in the second half, but then just absolutely collapsed on the stretch. They were up 64-58 with two and a half to go. Didn't score again, didn't play well, and I think Kansas misses the likes of Frank Mason and Devontae Graham in the backcourt, and a lot of that falls on Quentin Grimes and Dotson, who had Grimes himself had two turnovers, didn't play particularly well. He was fine, but really Dotson was the problem. So... Kansas, who normally play well in these close games, they've had some struggles on the road where they've given back big leads. They almost blew it at Baylor. Uh, they just fell apart completely against Iowa State on the road. And then here against West Virginia, they just kind of stumbled down the stretch and didn't really play well. So, again, we, I said it earlier, Kansas, is, despite some really great wins, which will help them in the senior process, they beat Tennessee, they beat Michigan State, they beat Marquette. Uh, this is a team that's just not playing up to what people thought it would be playing. Uh, this year, and it's just not quite in that top tier where they're, where Kansas fans hope hope it is every year. So that's the my quote-unquote whining about Kansas. But I think they are some major problems with this team. And I think Bill Self's a good coach, and he'll get the most out of these guys, and he's always adjusting, always tweaking things. And that's why we've seen Garrett come on. But at the same time, Kansas just needs to just you know play a little bit more. They're very angst-inducing to watch, and that's frustrating because no lead is safe, and you're, that's, most times they're just not that fun to watch compared to previous teams especially last year where they're just shooting threes and making it all over the place. So that's my uh, yeah. my Kansas take. 
Kansas has the had the toughest schedule in the country, according to Ken Palm, and it seems very unlikely that that will change uh, over the course of the rest of the season. And this week is no different. You know, they play home against Iowa State tonight on um, on Big Monday, and then they go to Kentucky in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Um, as we talked about the Big 12 for a while earlier, but uh, you know, Kansas could be in much worse shape in theory in the conference if uh, Texas Tech. Yeah. Or Iowa State had uh, had won a couple games that they uh, that they could have. Um, so Northwestern won against Rutgers on Friday to um, get get off the Schneid. Um, you know Ruck, that was a losable game on the road, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, Ohio State lost at Rutgers. Rutgers is you know probably the worst team in the Big Ten, but they're not that bad. They're a top 50 defensive team. They're terrible offensively, uh, and in this game, Rutgers couldn't uh, only manage 0.85 points per possession. Uh, Derek Pardon was really the only good offensive player for uh, Northwestern who played much. Uh, 17 points, seven rebounds, and you know Northwestern's two. What are they? Three and five in conference. Two and five in conference now, and they have Indiana at home. You know it's a tough spot for Indiana uh, going to Northwestern. Northwestern plays good defense, uh, and Indiana has been struggling. That, that's a you know for Northwestern that's really a game you need to win, um, and for Indiana it's a game that. Uh, you can't afford to lose, I guess, um, now that they've lost four in a row. After that, Northwestern has played at Wisconsin and Maryland. So if they lose this game, it could get ugly pretty quickly. For Providence, you know, they got their first uh, Big East win of the season against uh, Seton Hall and it was really a sloppy, ugly game. Uh, it was a bad week for Seton Hall. Also lost at home to DePaul. Providence knocked off Seton Hall by um, about 10. Um, and they also um, they also, they won by 9. And they forced a ton of turnovers. They forced um, 22 turnovers. Um and Providence's defense is good. You know, their defense, even against, uh, I think it's actually underrated by Ken Palm at this point. They're playing really good defense recently. Even against Marquette on Dwayne Wade Day on Sunday, they, um, they their defense wasn't terrible. I mean, they gave up 79 points, 69 possessions, 1.14 points per, per possession. But that was with Marquette just knocking down really tough threes. Um, their two-point defense was excellent. They only allowed three offensive rebounds the whole game. Um but the offense is a problem. This, you know, really could be the worst Providence offense that in that I can remember. And, you know, Ed Cooley, as we talked about a couple of times ago, hasn't really figured out how to get the most out of his offenses. Um, the worst offense in the Ken Palm era at Providence was in 2001-2002. That was on the Tim Welsh era where they were ranked 165th in the country and on a 15-16 and 16 team that went 6-10 and 10 in conference. And this team is actually not that dissimilar when you look at it. That was Ryan Gomes' freshman year. Um, you know, the, the good news is that that uh, you know, two years later they were a five seed in the NCAA tournament. But um, certainly, this not was expected from Providence that they're picked third in the Big East this year. If you're looking at what they need to do to get back on track, their next five games are winnable, and they probably need to win four of them to have a shot. They play at Xavier on Wednesday. They host DePaul on Sunday. They play at Seton Hall the following Wednesday. And again, Seton Hall has already lost at home to um, St. Louis to Louisville, um, and to DePaul, and they won by one point against Butler at home. And following up the Seton Hall game, they go to DePaul, and then they host Georgetown. Like, honestly, you would need to sweep DePaul, beat Georgetown at home, and at least split the games at Xavier and at Seton Hall. Then you're 5-5, five and five, and the schedule will be very tough down the stretch because that's obviously about as soft as you can get for a five-game stretch. Um, and then they'll need to get A.J. Reeves back, hopefully, in, in that stretch. He was the best freshman in the Big East before he hurt his foot in early December, and now he's missed uh, eight straight games, and their offense has um, been pretty poor pretty much that entire time. Um, 
So it's a little disappointing season for Providence. I mean, I, it's quite disappointing, but I'm trying to like um, manage manage myself and my and my heart so I don't uh, <laughs> get too upset, and I can still come on the podcast and, and give a good performance. So um, far, I think you're doing a great job, Brenda. And I feel silly complaining about Kansas when then leading into your complaints about Providence, which are much more legitimate. So I'm very spoiled. Yeah, I mean, it's the point guard play still. It's just, it hasn't, you know, we've seen different point guards play mediocrely to decent to terrible this season. You know, whether it's Mikhaish and Langford, David Duke and, and Malik White. And against uh, Marquette, obviously Marquette is one of the best point guards in the country. And Marcus Howard, he scored 24 points, 39% usage. He wasn't even that efficient. Providence did a good job defensively against him. Um, they, they, he had to take, he was 2 for 10 on twos, 2 for 5 on threes. He got to the foul line, so he scored most of his points. But in that game, you know, Makai Ashton Langford played solidly. He had seven assists to one turnover, but he was one for seven from the field and 0 for one from the foul line. And David Duke was um, one for five from the field, 0 for two from the foul line. Um, so they're just not getting enough from their backcourt. And AJ Reeves would fix some of that, but he's not going to fix all of it. Um, so we'll see how it goes. You can't shoot four for 19 on the road and win many games against top 20, top 30 teams. And that was that was not uh, that was certainly the case for Providence. Uh, on Sunday. Yeah. So you want to go to our email? Yeah. We, uh, our email is from, I'm, I'm going to introduce Nick Zaccardi of NBC Olympic Talk. You may know him as one of the foremost Olympics experts in the world. And um, he recently had a, a child. I'm not going to give any details. I don't know how private like the gender and name and that sort of thing is, but I visited the family today, actually a couple hours ago. They're doing well. But uh, one thing he's doing as he's taking some paternity leave, he listens to the Double Bonus podcast, and uh, he sent us an email. And w- what did he say, Tom? Well, first, I wonder if he uses our podcast to put his new board to sleep. That would be a, one, one good use of it, but probably not. Anyway, mm-hmm. his email says, in a 2014 SI.com reader vote, the 2004-05 Illinois Fighting Illini were chosen the best team not to win the NCAA title. Other contenders since emerged. Did you agree with that 2014 vote? Who do you, Brendan and Tom, consider the best to not win the title? Follow-up, this is a uh, bring back to last week's podcast. I also graduated high school with Bob Wenzel's son. We sat next to each other in homeroom. Now, first of all, who has homeroom still? Number one. Number two, that's cool. <laughs> anyway. I had homeroom in high school. You didn't have homeroom in high school? No. Went straight to, we had no time. We were all, all time, all business. Just went straight to, uh, straight to class. Went straight to uh, biology, freshman year. Well, whatever. Didn't have any homeroom. We didn't have a pit stop. So, uh, Brandon, you have listed some teams here. That Illinois team. It's just contenders. These are not necessarily the best teams. These are some teams that I went through. Food for thought. That Illinois team. Let's just talk about this. Why don't we start with Nick's Illinois team. Nick, I believe, is from Illinois, so maybe a little biased here. But this is a team that lost the national championship game to North Carolina. They went 37-2. They went 15-1 in the Big Ten this year. Had one of the best backcourts you'll see. Luther had D. Brown, Darren Williams. Darren Williams was third on the team in points scored, just to show you uh, uh, how good they were that year. Then Roger Powell and James Augustine also averaged in double figures. So they were very balanced. Uh, they had a lot of scores, and they were very good. And they, they played North Carolina. That was a game, I believe, they fell behind big time and then came back and made it close but never led and lost in uh, lost at the end, 75-70. to 70. So... Good contender, I think, and good food for thought for this discussion. They were it was a one versus two seed matchup. Uh, yeah, it was 40-27 at the half in that game. So, what do we think about this Illinois team, the one submitted and voted on by the SportsIllustrated.com uh, readers? 
I, re- I was really a big fan of this Illinois team. Um, it was one of Bruce Weber's first teams there. Uh, he took over for um, Bill, Bill Self, Self yeah. and it was his second. It was his second um, season at Illinois. And so of course, a lot of those players have been recruited by Bill Self. Um, Darren Williams was a junior. Luther Head was a senior. Roger Powell, I believe, was a senior. D. Brown, James Augustine were juniors. They were third in offense and fourth in defense in Ken Palm. So that's pretty good. Great shooting team. Um, they shot a lot of threes. They were um, also seventh in the country in assists. Um, I remember entering that season. D. Brown was, like, was the star. It was like he was thought to be like kind of the face of the of the team. But then as the season emerged, it was. Darren Williams and Luther Head, who became more important offensive players, at least. Um, I think that this team is remembered well, and I was talking to, to Nick about this today. Like, wh- why does this Illinois team win uh, this this kind of poll? Assuming it's a fan poll, and I think that part of the reason, and he he, he mentioned is like Illinois is considered one of the programs, the bet one of the best programs in college basketball to never win the national title, and so when there's a vote like this, it's probably going to be. Illinois fans rather than like North Carolina or Kansas or Duke or Kentucky fans who are going to want to vote. So that's one reason. And two, they had like, they had stars, you know, D Brown, Darren Williams, Luther had, these are stars, well-known guys. And they also played, they also undefeated for a long time, which I think helped uh, people started thinking about that team. And then um, you saw in the NCAA tournament, they played the regionals in Chicago and they had an incredible overtime comeback of uh, regulation comeback and then overtime win over Arizona in Chicago at home, basically, with Bill Murray in the stands going crazy before his son really became an assistant coach for Xavier in <laughs> Louisville. Now we see him in the sidelines all the time for college basketball games. But um, So I think that there was like something really fun and interesting about the team, um, and that was a big part of why that they're on this list. I, I don't really think they're one of the top few actual best teams, maybe one of the best stories for teams. And they were really good. I don't want to put any... They they lost two games the whole season, and and one was on a last-second shot, and one was to a really, really good North Carolina team. But I would... I think there are teams that I would consider the best team in a season, and not... Who did not win the title, that I probably would put ahead of Illinois. Um, But what what are your... Do you have any other thoughts on Illinois, or some of these other contenders? Well, I think this this team was definitely up there, because they lost their last... Their first loss of the season was their 16th and final Big Ten game of the season, which is amazing to think about. You can go through the Big Ten season, 15-0, and and then lose to Ohio State by one point uh, on the road at the last second, as you said. Also, funny about this team is that Bruce Weber would kill for a team that is third in offensive efficiency right now. He, if his Kansas team, the Kansas State team, was even close to this team's offense, he would be so happy with that. And yeah, and this is a team that was yeah star power and very good. And of course, I'm a little biased. I like this team because it Bill Self's players. But um, yeah, I don't think it's the best team. But it's you know I think it's better than some people would. I think it's higher on the list or like closer to it than people think, just because you know they have a very impressive resume, and that uh, of course they could have gotten easily knocked out in the Sweet 16 against Arizona, or that was the regional final in the, in the Elite mm-hmm. Eight against Arizona, and then they probably wouldn't be in this discussion. So then they could be in the best team to not make the Final Four discussion. But mm-hmm. um, that 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 uh, list is filled with Kansas teams, I think. Yeah, yeah tough flow. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's true though. But um. Yeah, they're a good team. And the other, some other teams. Let's you want to lump the Duke teams together. Duke 04, Duke 2002, Duke 99. Two of those teams. Yeah, so those. Yeah. Yeah, so 99 Duke had Trajan Langdon, um, and it also had like Corey Maggette, Elton Brand, Shane Battier, William Avery. Um, That team did not lose many games, but the UConn team I thought was pretty much just as good the whole season. They were the last team to lose 
um, that season. They were also, I believe, the last team to be the last team to lose to win the national title. That's a little little nugget for you for your Virginia fans. That could be they could be the last team to lose this year. They were the last team to lose this year. If they win the national title, they would be the first since UConn '99. That team, of course, had Clyde Alamine, Ricky Moore had a huge title game, uh, Richard Hamilton, uh, Kevin Freeman, etc. The 2002 Duke team is the one that we we closed our show with a couple of, um, weeks ago, where they lost to like an Indiana team that really wasn't in their class, but it was. Uh, but Indiana played great, and um, and Duke couldn't uh, come back at the very end. That team had Carlos Boozer and Jay Williams um, among their best players on that team. Uh, I think Mike Dunleavy was on that team as well. In 2004 team. That was your uh, Luol Deng team, um, that and and that UConn team also was quite good. We've we've seen some UConn teams that were not good that won the national title. Sorry, not good is strong. We've seen some UConn teams that were not really close to being the best team in a single season that's to win the quick. national that's title. I think that's nice for the 2014 team to uh, describe them that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 2014 team this time of year, I think they were like the 40th best team in Ken Palm. <laughs> um, the 2011 team was was a kind of a late bloomer. Yeah. Um, but the 2014 was actually one of the worst teams to win the title, maybe in my lifetime. But the 2014 that had Luol Deng, Sheldon Williams, JJ Reddick, Chris Duhon, Daniel Ewing, Shavlik Randolph, Sean Dockery. That was a really good team. Um, they, you know, they did lose five games that season uh, until they lost. They lost six, six games in UConn. Um, so, and that was in the national semifinal. Well, what do you think of either those Duke teams or are there some other teams you want to mention as potentials? I think the 99 Duke team has a very good case for this. And I think part of it is that I think that the UConn team they lost to was actually a very good UConn team. They weren't really, it wasn't, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't upset and like people thought Duke was going to win. But you that UConn team um, was very good. I have a very good friend who's a UConn fan. I met, the first time I met him, I mentioned the 99 uh, Duke UConn game is how you know the better team doesn't always win. He's like, you will not persuade me that the '99 UConn team was not better than the '99 Duke team. And I think that he has a point in the sense that it's definitely arguable that 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 UConn team was better. Now this also this Duke team though uh, did not lose in the in the ACC. They went 37 and two. They lost to Cincinnati, I believe. And then yep, that was it. And then they lost the last game of the season. So pretty crazy when you think about that. The O2 team. I'm not so sure about it. And the 0-4 team, that was a really bad loss to UConn in their national semifinal. I believe they were up eight inside four and somehow blew that game. That was not a good uh, uh, good job by that Duke team. So these Duke teams are up there. But if I had to rank them, as I would go 0, 0-99, 0-4, and then 0-2 is the top mm-hmm. uh, teams there. And you can also make one team we don't have on here, the UConn 2016 that lost to George Mason. That was a high-flying one seed and they really shouldn't have lost that game too. A lot of NBA talent on that team, but it never clicked for that team. Yeah, that team had Marvin Williams, Josh Boone, Hilton Armstrong, uh, Denon Brown, Rudy Gay. Yeah, Rudy Gay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and that, yeah, they were one seed. They, yeah, that team would have won the national title. I'm, I'm pr- pretty sure if they had not uh, lost to George Mason. Um, we don't need any more UConn national titles anyway. But um, if I'm looking at this list and and the list I, I, that I put down here, I think the top two on my list of the teams that I've I identified. Uh, obviously, we'll mention a couple others. 2015 Kentucky won every game they played until the um, national semifinals when they lost to Wisconsin. And that Wisconsin team was also very, very good. And then that team lost to Duke in the national title. 
But, um, you know, th that team played in an SEC that wasn't particularly strong. Um, it's obviously a great team, but it wasn't tested as much. I feel like that we wouldn't think of them the same way if that team went through the, the ACC or, or like that year's Big 12 um, or the Big East even that year uh, was actually rated higher than the ACC on average. The SEC was the fifth best conference, uh, barely better than the conference that we sometimes mention and sometimes don't on the podcast. Um, yeah, so anyway, my top two. Um, I'm not sure what order I put him in, but I would say 1985 Georgetown, 1991 UNLV. Uh, 1991 UNLV hadn't lost a game the whole season. They won the title the previous season, much like Georgetown had won the title the previous season in 84. Um, they went to the national semifinals. They had um, Larry Johnson, Stacey Augman, Greg, uh, Greg Anthony, Anderson Hunt, etc., etc. And they played what was a really good Duke team. Um, Duke had gone to the national title game the year before as well. Um, losing, getting really blown out uh, by um, by UNLV, but that UNLV team was uh, was really really good, and they were just intimidating. Um, they went 34 and one that year, and even though they played in the Big West, which wasn't a very good conference, um, they still played a really good non-conference schedule. They were they t they were number one every single poll the entire season, um, and they played they beat a really good Arkansas team at Arkansas that year. Um, Actually, looking at the non-conference schedule, it wasn't as good as I remember it being. But um, they did play Princeton, Michigan State, Florida State, and some other teams out of conference. But you know that team was really good. And then Georgetown '85, they won the title in '84. Um, they were they had Patrick Ewing, obviously. They had a really, really good defense. They were in a, a really good Big East that had uh, that sent five, uh, not five, three teams to the Final Four. Hard to send five teams to the Final Four. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> It's not. It, it, it's a, it's tricky. You you really yeah. need to like grease the palms of some uh, some officials to get five teams into the final four. Um, but th that team. Uh, let me pick, pull up their uh, their information here. Uh, that team went uh, thirty five and three, including the the loss of Villanova in the national title game. It was number one almost every week of the season, except for four five weeks. It was number two behind St. John's, which is uh, a, one of the teams that had beat. Uh, I believe had beaten Georgetown that season. If you look at their schedule, they their other loss was to they beat they lost back to back games to to St John's by one and to, and at Syracuse by two and then they went national game they lost by two so they lost three games by a total of five points and um, and they were just a really intimidating defensive team and they had six five NBA players so they also had David Wingate Michael uh, Reggie Williams Michael Jackson Horace Broadnax uh, Perry McDonald um, so those are my top two I don't know if you have thoughts on those two or if you have others you want to throw out for the conversation I mean of course the 97 Kansas team was very good but I don't think it was quite at the level of those teams the 91 UNLV team was kind of you know crazy we were in, that game was nuts then there's always the rumors or the unspoken there was I think there was even an FBI investigation to see if they were point shaving there's the urban legend that they were just trying to point shave and got caught and lost there's some but I don't think that's necessarily that seems like a better story than it is fact. That was that was the game right. That's the game where Greg Anthony fouled out with like three minutes to three minutes. Oh, just under four minutes to go, right in that game. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that's a killer loss. That team was that team was going to go undefeated, right, and be back to back national champions. Mm -hmm. I think that when you have that body of work over two years, you have a very good case for that. And of course, the Georgetown loss is so famous. Uh, they'll know a shot like what 70 76 yeah, percent yeah. or something I mean, they, they probably win that game like probably eight out nine out of ten times if not more and you have 
uh, and if they just Villanova just shoots a little bit more poorly. And but Georgetown has such a high reputation. I think you should look at these t- games by like, what kind of reputation did the teams have? Did they get to the Final Four at least, like the 05, the 15 Kentucky team? What kind of reputation did they have, and was it deserved? Like no one was saying the 2015 Kentucky team was overrated. No one was saying the 91 UNLV team was overrated. No one was saying the 85 Georgetown team was overrated. And they lost a game, like a very close game that they easily could have won, when the other team played way over Ted, uh, in the sense of the. Uh, in most of those games. So that's what makes it so crazy is that UNLV, had, I think that's my pick. They had the two, you know, basically two years body of work. They lost one game in which they had some bad decisions, some bad fouls, some bad shooting and to a pretty good Duke team. And that's why they, and they lost. So that, that would be my pick, but it's a, it's an interesting discussion. So, and there are some great teams that have never won the national title. And that's why the NCAA tournament is so great because you have to be lucky and good. And you just, you have these windows and you don't, you know, capitalizing, it can all just fall apart in a span of two or three minutes or even less. Yeah. Well, let's move on. I'll name a couple more teams before we leave, just so people are curious. One team I think that doesn't get a lot of uh, publicity is a 2011 Ohio State team. Uh, they were they finished number one in Ken Palm. They were number one seed, and they lost to a, a really good game to a Kentucky team, actually, in the regional semifinals. Um, they had Jared Sullinger, Aaron Kraft, John Diebler, David Lighty. That team entered that game at 34-2. and um, went 16 and two in conference and were the number one offensive team in the country. Um, and then, um, the North Carolina team of 84 had Michael Jordan, for instance, Kenny Smith was on that team, Sam Perkins, they lost to Indiana in the sweet 16. Uh, and it was a big upset at the time. I think it was at the Omni. And then in 1983, you have the Houston team that of course will lost to North Carolina state in the national title game. Um, and uh, Kentucky 97, I, I have on this list as well. That team won the title in 96 and 98. And in 97, they went to the national title game and lost in overtime to Arizona. Um, so they were basically probably a shot uh, away from being th- back-to-back-to-back national champions. Simon says championship. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's look ahead. Uh, last week, our picks, we picked 12 games. I was 5-7. and seven. Tom was 6-6. Six and six. Um we're going to start by looking at the uh, upcoming Big 12 SEC Challenge, and then I'll have an under-the-radar game I'm, I like, and then we'll um, look at some other games before we uh, let you go back to your day. Cool. Um, so we're starting with the uh, Carolina-Virginia Tech game, which is... To, oh, we're starting with the SEC Big 12 Challenge. you want to do those first, Brendan? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So we have Alabama, Baylor... But let's just run through the games. Alabama, Baylor, Iowa State, Ole Miss, Kansas-Kentucky is the marquee game, Kansas State, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Oklahoma State, Florida, TCU, Texas, and Georgia, Arkansas, Texas Tech, and West Virginia, Tennessee. This did not work out well. <laughs> like, I mean, t- West yeah. Virginia, Tennessee. Tennessee I, mean, a, I mean, let's, yeah. And it's weird they insert this in a random Saturday uh, in January rather than play it in December at some point. And there's like, which team, like Kansas State, oh, they're, they're intriguing. Oh, they're playing Texas A&M. Uh, Kentucky and Kansas is obviously good, but they play every year, and it would be nice to get some variety uh, with that. And then you have Iowa State at uh, Mississippi. That's fine. But really, Alabama, just, there are not that many sexy games. In this. I feel like if they just tweak the matchups, it would be much better. So, yeah. If Tom says it's not sexy, it's probably not sexy. Because whenever I, whether it's a guy or, or a girl, a man or a woman, uh, Tom knows what's sexy. And if he's saying that, the Big 12 SEC Challenge is not sexy. I am going to assume that it is not sexy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, when I look at it, you know, you mentioned Iowa State versus Mississippi. Uh, that's an interesting matchup. Iowa State plays Kansas tonight, so they'll have a tough game before that. Um, 
And then you looking at this list like ugh, Florida TCU is kind of interesting. Like even Texas is like a pretty good team. They couldn't put Texas against like someone good. Um, I think part of it is that we don't have Auburn in here. And then also Tennessee is playing with West Virginia. It's like the worst team in the Big 12 is playing the best team in the SEC. So um, I would expect the Big 12 to win because the Big 12 is better than the SEC. And also Auburn's not part of this. Uh, Mississippi State also is not part of this because they're playing each other um, on Saturday. Um, but uh, I guess I guess we'll find out. I, I would There's how many games? Ten games? I would assume that the, the Big 12 will win six or seven. Um, I don't know if you have any kind of overall thoughts on who, who will win the challenge. No, I think you're right. I think there have been some bonus SEC Big 12 challenge games earlier this year. Uh, Kansas played Tennessee at Barclays in Brooklyn in November and won. Florida played West Virginia in one of the most unwatchable games of the year and won at the Garden. Um, so there have been some bonus games, and it, it just it stinks that they're not in a line more and that Auburn, one of the best teams in the conference, that we knew was going to be one of the best teams in the conference, isn't playing in this. And it must make me wonder what the point of the whole thing is. Yeah. Or what's, we, the point of, what's the point of life in yeah. college basketball, Tom? It's true, yeah. It's very very philosophical. Yeah, I mean, like even like Arkansas Tech, I guess Texas Tech was picked seventh in the uh, yeah. in the Big, Big 12, but... You know, Texas Tech went to the Elite Eight last year. Like, why are they playing an Arkansas team that was picked, like, 10th in the SEC? It's just... Anyway, I'm not saying don't get excited about it, but pretty much it could have been better, I guess yeah. is what we're saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, my under-the-radar game uh, this week is Butler at Creighton. That's Friday. Prior to the game, Butler will host Villanova on Tuesday, so it's a big week for them. And Creighton uh, plays at Georgetown today. Uh, Creighton's only 1-4 in, in conference. Their, their defense has been awful and part of that is that they've run into some good shooting teams and part of that is that their defense isn't very good um but Creighton when you look at the Big East in general you look at the Big East projections on Ken Palm seven uh sorry six of the ten teams are picked to be under 500 and then St. John's is picked to go nine and nine so you're looking at the possibility it doesn't seem likely that a a 500 Big, Big East team would make the NCAA tournament without like a long Big East tournament run so you're looking at a possibility that three or four teams might be what the Big East gets this year. You know, Villanova looks solid, Marquette looks solid, and you have Butler here at 10 and 8 projection. Have started three and three. Kamar Baldwin and Jordan Tucker are playing well for them. Tucker was a mid-season transfer and has started um, to play more and more minutes. Um, their their offense is very solid, third in the Big East in conference play. But even their defense, at least in league play, has been good at second. Although they have played the second easiest conference schedule to date. Uh, and that will change coming up in the next couple of weeks, um, starting with playing Villanova, and then as I mentioned, this game, this Creighton game on Friday. You know, Creighton is picked to go eight and ten. Winnie, Winnie over Butler and Georgetown probably will bump that to nine and nine, and then suddenly you get close to the bubble. Their offense is still tenth in the country, and second in Big East play, but their defense is one ninetieth in the country and last in Big East play. And um, you know, it's interesting because it felt like last year with Martin Crample, their defense was actually okay, and he's back this year, but of course Kyrie Thomas, who was a great perimeter defender, is not back, and that's probably a big reason why um, they're just getting torched uh, from three-pointers, from two-pointers. Uh, they're not really good at anything on defense. They're really only good at one thing as a team, and that's shooting. They're the best shooting team in the country, first overall in field goal, effective field goal percentage, fourth is th- three-point shooting, tenth in two-point shooting. And they take the 16th most three-pointers in the country. So, you know, their games are usually exciting and high-scoring, and uh, we should expect something similar when uh, when they play Butler. Um, Tyshawn Alexander um, and Mitch Ballack are, are kind of their two big stars, although Ballack is actually a fairly low-usage player. Um, but they have a bunch of guys, one, two, three, four, 
five, six players this has made at least nine three-pointers and shoot at least 39% for them. Um, so they're hard to guard. Uh, but if they don't have a good shooting night, they're probably going to lose. So we'll see what happens there. Saint, uh, uh, Creighton hosting Butler on Friday um, after both teams have played earlier in this week. Yeah, I'm just trying to see what the recent history in this series is. Yeah, there have been... Um, Creighton's lost the last two, but both those games were at Butler. And they haven't been as high scoring as you think. No, they were actually. They got blown out last year, 93-70 to and 84-69 earlier yeah, 80, this year. Yeah, they, they played it... Um, two weeks ago and lost by 15 yeah and in that game um Creighton shot seven of 27 from three so I, I think it, Creighton's a freshman team to play it's basically like you don't really control a lot of times whether you win it's they're going to take 25 to 33s and if they make 40 percent you're probably going to lose um unless you have a really good shooting game um in the, in that game uh both teams shot 64% or better on two-pointers. There wasn't a whole lot of defense played. If it wasn't for the fact that Creighton turned the ball over a bunch and missed a bunch of threes, they would have uh, scored a lot of points. Yeah, Creighton shot 33 or more threes his last three games. It's <laughs> a lot of threes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you want to go to the rest of the picks? Yeah, let's run through. We have um, we do have that Creighton-Butler game for the record. Tom's picking Butler to cover the one-point Creighton uh, spread. So... If Butler either, uh, I guess they have to win. Unless it's a one-point game, then it'll be a, a push. I have Creighton in that game. Um, and so we're talk about that one. But let's go to today's games. Uh, there are actually a, a couple really good games today. North Carolina. There's a, a, there's a good Big Ten game as well. Um, I believe Michigan State, Maryland, although it's at Michigan State. So um, I Michigan, Michigan State's a pretty big favorite. But in the ACC, we have North Carolina hosting Virginia Tech. UNC's a three-point favorite. And we have Kansas hosting Iowa State as a four-point favorite. Looks like we differ on our picks. Um, and tell me, tell me why, Tom. I have Vatek and Kansas, and you're taking North Carolina and Iowa State. I just feel like Virginia Tech is kind of like the Auburn, a better version of Auburn uh, in the um, ACC. They they play very good offense, but they when they've been tested against uh, quality opposition this year, they have not shown up to the. I mean, their best win has been they got smoked at Virginia last week. Uh, their best win is you could is probably at a uh, neutral against Purdue all the way back in November. They beat Washington on a neutral, Pac-12 mention, uh, back on <laughs> December 15th. But they lost to Virginia. They haven't played anybody else uh, of note really. So this is a game at North Carolina. North Carolina is so inconsistent. I think Virginia certainly could win this game, but I could also see North Carolina just putting its foot down and running um, and uh, running up some points here, trying to. Take the take the tempo to them. It's one of the fastest teams in the conference versus one of the slowest, and so yeah. Yeah, I think my uh, my oh. thought on Virginia Tech is that um, they are one of the they play they have the second longest defensive possessions in the country. And North Carolina obviously wants to get up and down, so I feel like they're going to prevent North Carolina from getting out in transition, and that, and you know maybe they'll make enough threes uh, to win this one. When they played Virginia, they. They made seven threes of 21, but uh, weren't able to stop Virginia's three-pointers. I don't think North Carolina is going to be knocking down that 13 three-pointers like Virginia did. So I'll take Virginia Tech. And when it comes to Kansas, Iowa State, um, it's only a four-point spread. I think Kansas will win at home, so I don't see, I don't have much desire to pick Iowa State to cover a four-point spread in a game. I think they'll probably lose. Should have watched the way the Texas game ended last week, Brendan. Maybe you'd have different thoughts. No, I think Iowa State has a fighting chance to win this game. They're playing pretty well. They already beat them. The first time, we'll see how they adjust. I do think Kansas will. I hope Kansas wins this game, but I'm picking Iowa State just because I seem to be uh, 
I seem to benefit from picking dogs against Kansas. So. Yeah. Yeah. I got to figure out what 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 will benefit me in in picking uh uh picking against Providence. I pick against Providence every game and. <laughs> They win and they lose. It doesn't seem to affect it. Yeah. Uh, we have one game on Tuesday uh, that we're talking about. Texas Tech hosts uh, is at Kansas State. Texas Tech's a one-point favorite at Kansas State. Again, these are all four of the four and two Big 12 teams will play today and tomorrow. That's pretty cool. Texas Tech, as we discussed, um, last in defense, first in offense in Big 12 play. First to 60 um, probably wins this one. What do you what do you what do you think? Uh, I think this game will be not aesthetically pleasing. Texas Tech just they gotta play better offense for me to get in on this uh kansas state has been playing very well since dean wade came back i think he was supposed to be out much longer than he was and he's been back with the after returning from a foot injury they won four straight including at iowa state at oklahoma and home to tcu so those are three a games basically every game you play in the big 12 is an a game unless you're playing west virginia at home or oklahoma state at home so um yeah i think this game will be interesting i think this will be a good test for them. Ken Palm says no, by the way. Neither team will score 60. His projected score is 58-57. So give me Kansas State just because they're the hotter team right now, and they have uh, Dean Wade, who's been playing very well. I'm also taking Kansas State. Um, Texas Tech's offense is just not very good, and on the road against a Kansas State team that's playing a little bit better, it seems like Texas Tech, uh, Kansas State's the pick to me. Wednesday, our two games, uh, the marquee game of the night, uh, it's actually not a great night on Wednesday, despite the fact that that's when most teams seem to play. Purdue is favored by one at Ohio State. We've discussed Ohio State's recent skid, and uh, Purdue's up number nine in Ken Palm after blowing out Indiana um, on Saturday uh, at Mackey. And also that night is um, Xavier, a three-point favorite at home against Providence. Um, obviously, both these teams are down this year relative to recent years, uh, both in need of a win. Yeah, I'm just taking the hotter hand in uh, the Purdue-Ohio State game. I'll take Purdue. Uh, obviously, Carson Edwards is playing great, and they've won three straight, uh, including a nice win in overtime at Wisconsin. And then the other game, I am going to be taking... Where'd it go? Uh, Xavier. Oh, Xavier. Providence. Yes, I'm, ta- I'm taking Providence because they need a win. And they're desperate, so give me Providence. Yeah, in fairness, Xavier's three and three in conference, and they've played a fairly difficult conference schedule. It's, it's they don't seem to have played all that well, but they did win a home game by against Butler by one. They came back from down big to Georgetown at home and won, um, and they beat one at DePaul earlier in the season, their first conference game of the season on uh, the 29th. Uh, I'm going with Xavier in that game. Um, Providence has not had much success there. I, I'm not sure they've ever won there, at least not since Xavier joined the um, uh, the, the Big East. Um, and it doesn't seem like this team is good enough on offense, uh, assuming uh, A.J. Reese is still out to uh, to change that. And when it comes to the Purdue-Ohio State game, I'm actually going to go with Ohio State. Um, it feels like, I don't know. I, I, I had a reason why I wrote Ohio State maybe an hour ago. And I'm not sure what that reason is now, but um, it does seem like Ohio State probably should bounce back. Purdue's probably not the ninth best team in the country, so maybe they're slightly overrated by Ken Palm and this one-point spread. Um, so I'll take Carson Edwards to have an off-shooting night in Ohio State to find a way to win. Um, Thursday, we have Thursday, Friday, um, we have Michigan State, five-point favorite at home against Iowa. Michigan on Friday, a three-point favorite. Um, that's at Indiana. Um, and Creighton, we mentioned, we already discussed Creighton, so we don't discuss that anymore. But Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan, Indiana, what are you thinking? So is Josh Langford back going to be back for this uh, Iowa game, or we don't know yet? 
I don't know. Let's, uh, let's I tried. I did old, a quick uh, Google News thing, and it doesn't seem to say. So, uh, yeah. So he's been out for six or seven games, and they've been playing pretty great. Yeah. And so I do like Michigan State in this game. While well, we check out on Josh for Langford's status, but I think they're playing as good a ball as anybody in the country right now. And they had their little hiccups, but yeah, they're up to third in Ken Palm. Very balanced. And uh, yeah, they've had they've won four straight A games. Uh, including three on the road, so full credit to them. I think they can handle um, Iowa on the road as well. Yeah, it's it's quite a it's quite a week for Michigan State. They host Maryland, and they play at um, Iowa, and they play at Purdue. It's a yeah, all in all in one kind of what we consider a calendar week. Um, I'm going to take um, Iowa in this one. Uh, Iowa's been pretty tough uh, the last couple weeks. You know, they started pretty strong. We weren't sure how good they actually were. <laughs> And then, um, and then they had a kind of a rough stretch after they beat uh, they beat Iowa State. If you look at their, um, well, first of all, I was right before they beat Iowa State. They lost to Wisconsin and then lost to Michigan State, and they lost at Purdue by 16. But since then, they've won five straight. Um, so they started 0-3. They're now 5-3, and and um, they have a good enough offense to stick with Michigan State. So I'll take Iowa, and I'll also take. Um, Michigan, a three-point underdog at Indiana. Um, a three-point favorite, yeah. right? Three-point favorite at Indiana, yeah. yeah. Um, I like and that. And then finally, over the weekend, um, we, we eliminated a couple of the, big, the SEC Big 12 games that we talked about earlier, but we do have this SEC game, Mississippi State-Auburn. Mississippi State, a two-point favorite um, at home against Auburn. Mississippi State plays Kentucky on Tuesday. Auburn's at South Carolina on Tuesday. And then the two games on Sunday are, are the Michigan State-Purdue game we mentioned. The Michigan State's a two-point favorite at Purdue. And then we have Providence, a five-point favorite at home against DePaul. Uh, yeah, I like Auburn. I think Auburn needs to get a big-time win. I think this is a good chance for them to do it. So I think them to win at Mississippi State, they're only getting two points. So I think they can take care of that. Um, and they'll win straight up. Uh, Michigan, straight up. Yeah, Michigan State will take over Purdue and Providence against DePaul. Obviously, this is a game that means so much to Providence. Um, so I'll take Providence minus five in that one. But, uh, yeah, this is Auburn is a tricky team. And I, I'm a little worried about because I picked them. I was very high on them preseason. I'm a little worried about that projection coming through. Them and, they and TCU are not helping me out right now. Yeah, Mississippi State, uh, I'm taking them at home. They've actually played – they had that hiccup against, I think it was LSU – uh, if I recall, I mean, I mean, actually, actually, Mississippi, Mississippi lost to LSU. Yeah, Mississippi State lost at South Carolina in overtime, and they lost at home to Mississippi by four. But yeah. they have looked good. You know, they. I don't know. This is a game you should win if you if you're Mississippi State. They'll probably be coming off of a loss to at Kentucky. So I'm going to take Mississippi State and um, uh, to win and cover the two point spread. Michigan State. I took them to I took Iowa to cover um, the game in Iowa, but I'm going to take Michigan State to cover the game in West Lafayette. Although that is a very tough place to play. Um, I do think the size of Michigan State was going to give some trouble to Purdue. I mean, they obviously have harms to guard the five, but Michigan State comes with size at more than just one position. I think that will be a problem for them. Although, I will say, Travion Williams has been a revelation for Purdue. He He's played more and more of late, and he's been good down low for them as well. So we'll see. That should be really a game on Sunday. Providence-DePaul will not be a good game, probably, unless it's some kind of buzzer beater. The Friars, uh, I think, will win this game, although they have had struggles with DePaul. Even last year, they were down by, I think, as much, much as 30 at one point against to Paul at home and they lost that game by like 15 or or 20 um you know who knows what you're going to get from Providence at this point 
Um, but I know DePaul, they have beaten Seton Hall at Seton Hall, and they beat St. John's at St. John's. They now have swept Seton Hall and are 3-3 three and three in conference. So they're, two, they're a couple of games ahead of Providence in the conference standings right now, um, and actually tied for third with Butler and Xavier. So that's a surprise. Yeah. But and while, we... while they've played the second most difficult conference schedule in the Big East. Wow. Well, yeah. sometimes, sometimes you can't predict college basketball. I think they're only, like, yeah. we're pretty sure there are six good teams in the country. And then after that, it's like you can make a case for like anybody being better than people think or about what people think or worse than people think. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we go like five and seven, six and six every week. Cause well, I'm, am I over 500 though? I'm over 500. I don't think you are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I was. It was collectively. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fair. <laughs> not. It's not really that fair to you if I if I group you in with my bad picks. No, no, good fine. picks. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, that's gonna do it for another episode of the Double Bonus Podcast with uh, Tom Borstein and Brendan DeRocher. Hit us up at on Twitter, on Google Play Music. Rate, review, subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify. Email us at doublebonuspod at gmail.com and at our website, doublebonuspod.com. Um, yeah, send us some emails, and we'll read them and talk about them at length like we did with Nick Sicardi at FMC Olympic Talk. It could be That could be you next week. Write us back, Josh Lyman. Yeah. All right. Have a good week, friends. Stay yeah, warm. Too. Yeah. Bye. Throughout the season, when in trouble in the second half, they've managed to find another gear. Can they do it with time running out? There is on Ingram to bat the ball away. Williams could tie it with a three. He goes! Tied at 80, 38 seconds to go. The final seconds to decide the team that advances to the final four. Illinois has made up 15 points in the last four minutes.